Well, good morning. Good to see everyone here. For those of you that don't know who I am, I'm Ryan. I'm the lead pastor here at Radiant Life, and it's good to see those that call Radiant Life their home church here, as well as some first-time guests, welcome. And uh, we say around here, you belong here, because we believe every person, no matter what their walk of life is, belong in God's church. This isn't our church, this is God's church. And um, whether you're a follower of Jesus or not, and you, what we say around here is you're kicking the tires about who this God is and who this Jesus that we follow, you are welcomed here. Will you just repeat after me, say, I'm I'm ready. Put the pieces together. We are diving into a six-part teaching series titled Puzzled, Piecing It All Together. I'm going to give you about that 30,000 view of what in the world this thing is. What exactly is the Bible? How do we get all these stories? There are 66 letters in this. Divided into two parts, an Older Testament and a Newer Testament, written by over 40 authors over a span of 1,600 years. How is it pieced all together? And the awesome thing, it's one story. It's one story. So this morning, some of you, how many of you are great puzzle people? Like you love puzzles, you get that holiday puzzle, whatever, right? Have you ever tried putting a puzzle together and you don't have all the pieces? Right? It's so frustrating. You get done, and, you're, and this is one that you're like really proud of, but you're missing that one piece. You're like, ah, oh, it just doesn't look the same. Or how many of you have tried putting a, a puzzle together, and you have no idea what you're putting together? You don't have the box for a picture. You're like, I don't even know where to start. I think sometimes if you grew up in church, or church is brand new to you, we get that feeling sometimes, is we get all these pieces of God's word, and we hear all these stories, but we sit there and said, how does it all just go together? And you came for an awesome week to start out, and I hope you continue this series for the next six weeks. And it, I know I say it's only six weeks, but it actually will jump and we'll wrap it up in two additional weeks with a different series title, but it's still part of it. Make sense? Good. Clear as mud. All right, we're ready. You guys enjoy the extra hour of sleep? Welcome to the 11.30 service, <laughs> right? Jeez. How many of you like time change? I know we got the extra hour, but you, know, you do know spring is coming where we lose an hour, right? Not fun. Not fun. Hey, if you've got your Bible, if you've got your tablet, if you've got your phone, let's open up to the very first book of the Bible, Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, probably page 1. This is the easiest verse you will look up your entire life, Genesis 1.1. I'll give you a second to get there, Genesis 1.1. God's story begins this way. In the beginning, who, friends? God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep and the What? The Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. Immediately, the author, the writer of Genesis is telling us this creation story, that there was God in the beginning. The Hebrew word for God here is Elohim. Let me hear you say Elohim. 
Elohim is the God, is the Hebrew word given to God, which means just, it's the creator God. It's who he is. It's Elohim. You will see it written throughout the Psalms if you read the book of Psalms, but it's Elohim. It's the creator God. And the author is immediately telling us that there is one God who created, and when he begins to create, verse 2 gives us two key things. Number one, the earth was formless and empty. It means it had no boundaries. It had no definition. When God created, it was not in order. There was nothing, no boundaries. It was everywhere. And the second key piece we're giving, the spirit of God, which is ruach. Let me hear you say ruach. (laughs) That's a fun word. It was just fun to hear you say. It means the spirit of God. It means the breath of God was hovering over the waters. The waters in the ancient world and their theology represented darkness and chaos. They thought the underworld was in the waters. So we're given the moment that there's a creator God, Elohim, that speaks the earth into existence and it just leaps in his breath, his wind, his spirit was hovering over the chaos. And it's in this craziness that God speaks the earth into existence and we get this beautiful world and for five consecutive times as God continues to create he calls his creation good he says it is good 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 as he creates the land and the excuse me and the plants and the waters and he creates awesome creatures like the giraffe and the cute little porcupine and that fish that when it gets angry or scared it goes the puffer fish. And God creates all his creation and he says, it's good, it's good, it's good, it's good, it's good. And then in Genesis chapter one and chapter two, it's a mere image of itself. We get to the point where God does something unique. He creates humanity. And this is the first time God looks at his creation and says, it's very good. There's something different about humanity. See, God says he looks at it upon himself and realizes that he's in the Trinity. He lives in community with himself. As, as God the Father, Jesus Christ the Son, and his presence, the Holy Spirit, it's three into one. It's what we call the Trinity. And God says that we are to create humanity in our image. And for the first time in all creation, one creation has the image of the creator God. It's humanity. And we're told that God gets down and picks up the dust of the earth and he breathes his life into the nostrils of the dirt, and Adam's formed. Now, God knows man can't survive alone, and we need help, men. So God says, hey, we need to create a suitable helper for this guy. So he creates Eve. And every woman said amen because they know guys can't do it alone, right? And so God created a helper for Adam, and it's Eve. And here they are in the garden, perfect, creation. It's good, it's good, it's good, it's good, it's good. It's very good. And four relationships are created immediately out of Genesis chapter 1 and chapter 2. Here's the four relationships that we see in creation. Humanity has a relationship with God. Humanity and God, humanity within ourselves is a relationship that Adam and Eve each personally have with themselves. There's a relationship with each other. All of a sudden, Adam, who's alone, says, "Uh uh-oh, I have this woman because I don't know who she is. We got to get along now. Can you imagine Adam for a minute? Imagine being alone. It's just you and God. 
And all of a sudden, this other human pops up. Can you imagine, like, I wonder if Adam didn't know what to say. It's like going on a first date. Like, you sit there, like, I just don't know what to say to her. She's beautiful. <laughs> I don't know what to do. <laughs> it's got to be so weird being alone, and then all of a sudden, boop, another person. It's got to be. Anyways, that's how my brain works. All right. And lastly, you have humanity in a relationship with creation. God gives them the mandate to take care of my creation for me. And there you have, in the Garden of Eden, this perfectness that God speaks into existence. And he uses the earth as his megaphone to create. And we often get this words translated, what's experienced in the Garden of Eden in Genesis 1 and 2. We have this word, shalom. Let me hear you say, shalom. If you go to Israel today, they greet each other this way. Uh, when I was in Israel two years ago, they, you got on and off a bus, you went into um, a bagel restaurant, you went in to get other food or a shop, a souvenir shop, and they always greeted with the words, shalom. And respectfully back, you say, shalom, right back to them. We translate this word as peace. We often translate this word as like an absence of conflict, Right, That there's no conflict there, which is a great way to describe, but this word is so much bigger. This word means wholeness, completeness, and well-being. That's what shalom, and that's what God created in Genesis 1 and 2 is this perfect shalom. Everything was the way God intended it to be in the Garden of Eden. There was wholeness, there was completeness, there was perfect well-being with those four relationships, with God, within ourselves, with each other, and with creation. In other words, we can say this, that there was what, friends? There was shalom in the midst of the garden. Everything was great. Can you imagine that? Imagine God creating you first, and you got placed in the garden Hanging out with God, no sin, no nothing. It is perfect. And all of a sudden, God's going to tell Adam, there's one thing you can't do. Genesis chapter 2, verse 15 begins this way. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. There's the relationship with creation right there, one of those four relationships. Verse 16, and the Lord God commanded the man, you are what, friends? You are free. This is the beginning of God creating humanity with free will. God says, you're free. You're not a robot. I don't control, and you're not a puppet. I don't control strings. You have free freedom, free choice. You have perfect shalom in the garden. It's all yours. Adam, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you not, must not eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat from it, you will certainly die. So God says, Adam, I love you. You are free to do whatever you want in perfect shalom. It's just you and me and your wife, Eve. But I ask you one thing. Don't disobey me. Because when you disobey me, that's sin. And if sin enters the storyline, death comes with it. 
And immediately Adam is recognized and we're recognized that sin and death are linked. And he warns Adam, don't do it. It's not a part of my storyline. Everything is shalom right now. It's perfect. It's wholeness. It's completeness. It's perfect well-being. Don't disobey. You have all the freedom. Just don't eat from the one tree. Because if you do, sin and death are linked. And you're going to experience physical death and spiritual death. And it's not part of my story. So there you have Adam and Eve now in the garden. In perfect what again? Perfect shalom. Perfect shalom. In Genesis chapter 3, you're going to get the flip of all creation that probably absolutely wrecks God's heart. Genesis chapter 3, verse 1. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God really say you must not eat from the tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, We may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. You will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman. For God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was what? It was good for food and what? It's good for food, it's pleasing to the eye, and also, one more word? It's desirable. Welcome to the sin of lust. See, we do the same thing. We see something that we know we shouldn't go to, but it looks good. It looks pleasing to our eye. We, our hearts desire it, and we go after it. And the rest of verse 6, maybe perhaps the saddest verse in all of the Bible. She took some, and what, friends? She ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he did what, friends? He ate it. And God the whole time says, Adam, I told you you're in perfect shalom with me. You're, you're in paradise. Exactly the way I intended everything to be, to be heaven on earth. Ooh, baby, heaven is a place on earth. You know that was coming to your mind, don't you? That song is 100% right. Whoever wrote that, I don't know who wrote it. Anyone know who wrote it? Awesome, thank you. Carlisle, right? Everything, it was heaven on earth. It was perfect. It was shalom. It was exactly what God intended. And he had one instruction to Adam. Don't introduce sin and disobedience into the storyline. Because death will come with it. And all of a sudden, everything that God, everything God created, and Adam bring sin in and all of a sudden now there's things like cancer and miscarriages and divorce and tsunamis 
and famines and mass shootings and racism. God said, I never intended that. I loved you so much, Adam. I gave you free will. Just don't eat from that thing. Don't eat from it. In fact, just run away. Stay away from it. You're in perfect paradise with me. But I think sometimes we're like Adam and Eve. All right, no, no picture taken saying, hey, that's that snake handle in church you go to, huh? <laughs> I'll stay here. My flesh side wants to walk amongst you right now. I won't. But something like this tripped Adam and Eve up. They let this thing, with the lust that they had in their eyes and in their heart, Ruin everything. And some of us right now, we are just saying, Ryan, put that thing back, please. <laughs> we are terrified. Ah, she's nice. But sin should be like this, where we are terrified of it. And instead, we flirt with this, like Adam and Eve did. All right, I'll put it back right now. You guys can all take a, take a breath now. Just a big sigh of relief. <gasps> what's worse is you should see what's under your seat. Auntie, <laughs> there's nothing there. She'll go off stage. She'll go off stage. Salmonella, you know, snakes. But this guy here, it's rubber, it's fake, all right? See, can't do anything. We treat sin like this. Sin is so dangerous. And we allow it to creep into our families and into our hearts and our soul because we flirt with it. And Adam and Eve, God gave them that warning. Don't introduce sin into my story because death comes with it. But for some of us, we're really good at flirting with our rubber snake. We have those pet sins that we like, we hold on to. And you know what we do? We actually don't like these. We don't like sin in our lives. We know it messes us up. We know we struggle with that addiction or whatever it is. We hate these things, but we hold on to it, and then we try to find someone to blame. And you know who gets blamed for all the brokenness in the world? God. God, why'd you allow this to happen? Why do you allow mass shootings? Why do you allow a tsunami to destroy an entire village? Why do you allow divorce? Why do you allow miscarriages? Why do you allow me to suffer with addiction? And we think we have a case against the Creator. When in fact, friends, we're to blame. 
God has a case against us. God created and entered into his story and says, everything is perfect, shalom. It is perfect. I created perfectness, and Adam and Eve, in one moment of disobedience, broke it all. And we think we have a case against him. When in fact, I think we ought to apologize because we're the ones that blew up his paradise. But we try to point fingers because we have too many pet snakes in our lives. I'm not to blame. Maybe the creator who allows good things or bad things to happen to good people. God doesn't allow that. It's called we live in a broken world because of sin. It breaks God's heart. And this perfect paradise that God created. It was heaven on earth in the garden. Heaven on earth. Adam and Eve, you had everything. But in one moment of disobedience, the shalom is shattered, fractured, and broken. And we face broken hearts, fractured relationships, We face diseases because of one act of disobedience. And the beauty of God is he didn't sit there in Genesis chapter 3 and look at there and say, well, good luck, Adam and Eve. You broke everything. Go, Good luck. Fix it. And we serve a loving, compassionate God who looks at the broken pieces of our lives in this world and says, I'm not done. And in fact, in Genesis chapter 3, he tells the serpent... He tells the serpent that's there. He says, there will be the one to come. And you will strike its heel, but he will crush your head. And in the midst of that, God is restoring, redeeming, and renewing. What's these two words, friends? All things. What things? All things. Not just religious things. Not just good things, that God is in the business of restoring and redeeming and renewing all things. Everything that is broken in this world breaks God's heart. But he says, I will put a plan in place to redeem and restore everything that was broken in the garden. Everything. Your broken heart? Everything. Poverty, everything. Famine, everything. Fractured relationships, putting back together everything. Pray, seeming, make your way up. But I want to close with three questions that I want us to wrestle with. Is welcome to the surface of Genesis one, two, and three. But we got to know what God is up to. We got to know how it all fell apart in order to get the rest of this story. Three questions to wrestle with this morning. Number one, do you believe this is happening? Do you believe that God is good? And he doesn't just look at you in all your chaos and brokenness and just say, well, good luck. That a God cares about where you are spiritually to him. And that when we let our little pet sins and our rubber snakes go and we give it, that God will restore and redeem and renew all things. 
Now, here's the trick. It may not be the way you want it to be, but his plan is greater than your plan. He doesn't think like us. And oftentimes we pray a certain way and God still answers that prayer, just not the way we wanted it to be answered. And we say, God, where are you? God said, I answered it. I think sometimes we get so tunnel visioned on what we think should happen that we lose the sight of what God's doing. Do you believe that God is really restoring, redeeming, and renewing all things? Which leads us to another question. What would it look like to live like this is true? What would it look like for you to go into work tomorrow, to go into your neighborhoods, to go into the stores, understanding that the world is fractured and broken, but God is restoring it all? And that we don't just get the news. We know the news is full of negativity. That's why it's news. That's how they get viewers. But instead, our perspective changes to say, God, I know you're redeeming all this, and all this just still breaks your heart, and it breaks mine. But I'm going to live like you're restoring this. Which leads us to the final question. Would living like that make your life better? Would you parent differently? Would your relationship with your spouse be a little different? The way you treat your coworkers and your classmates and your teammates on the field. The way you treat your neighbors and your family members in three weeks when you got Uncle Eddie coming for Thanksgiving. You're like, oh man, him. Would it just make the way you communicate with people better? Knowing that God's restoring it all. Welcome to part one of Puzzle. Six parts. We're done with part one. We're only three chapters into the whole story. Genesis 3 through 11 escalates with violence because Shalom was shattered. So much violence in the next chapters to follow that God says, I wish I never created them. They're blowing up my story. But in Genesis chapter 12, where we'll pick up next week, you'll see God's plan being laid out perfectly. Hope you come back next week. Let me pray for us. God, you truly are good. You truly are an amazing God that can look down all of our brokenness, all of our sin and say, I am with you always and I want to make things right. And we let this three-letter word sneak into the fabric of our families and in our lives. Sin. And we see in your creation when sin enters the story, death pursues and the whole story gets messed up. But God, you're always there. You're there looking down on the brokenness and says, I still love humanity. I still love my creation. My plan is going to go in place. And the one will come that will strike the serpent and crush its head. Because I am a God who is restoring, who is redeeming, 
who is renewing all things. And God, when the chaos pursues us, when we feel like we're in the waters over our head, may we be reminded that you are there with us. That the King is among us. And that later we read that your love is victorious. May we walk in that. May we pursue that as you pursue us. May all the darkness disappear because of your light shining in us. And we ask this in the awesome and powerful and mighty name of Jesus. Amen.